This is Comic Geek Speak, episode 1506, Off the Racks. I'm Brian Cressman. I'm Shane Kelly. I'm Adam Murdo. And I'm Chris Everly. And welcome to the show. Yes. Back in, well, half in the studio, half on the road. That's right. This <laughs> is our cast this evening. And uh, this and is our... Oddly, oddly enough, half in studios in Pennsylvania, the other half's in Jersey. That's correct. Yep. How about that? So mm-hmm. it's a... Uh, Interstitial, not quite a tri-state. Tri- two worlds, you might say. <laughs> That's correct. Earth PA and Earth NJ. Okay. <laughs> so yes, this is our off the rack episode. We will go into some detail and give our thoughts on three recent uh, comics. There will be, of course, spoilers. Uh, we'll be talking about Strangers in Paradise Kids number one. I'll talk about Sensational Comics featuring Wonder Woman number one. And the multiversity number one in this episode. Well, maybe a few other things, perhaps, time permitting. And Shane, this episode is brought to us by... Discount Comic Book Service and InStockTrades.com. That's DCBService.com and InStockTrades.com. Go to both sites for all your pre-ordering needs and for your hardcover trade paperback needs. DCB Service, um, they do a great job of getting you your new released comics... In an inexpensive manner, uh, this month on their website, I see DC Kins Bundle, DC Lego Variant Bundle, Image Bundle, A Valiant Bundle, Vertigo Bundle, and Alien Predator Bundle. They love their bundles, mm-hmm. and they're all done for great prices. Um, we've been using them for a long time. They're great service. You get your previews book. You order off their website, and then you can choose one week, every other week, or every month type shipping if you want. So if you can wait a month, that's great. I wait a month. Sometimes it's hard. You can get every week, which is also great, and I've used that. Um, the great service, and uh, all the books come in, in great condition, ready to read. That's dcbservice.com. Instocktrades.com it allows you to order at great discounts, hardbacks, trade paperbacks that have come out, and if it's on the website, it's in stock, hence the name Instock Trades. I've also used them very extensively this year, getting things to read, not only for the show, but for my own amusement. Um, Check on their front page. They always have a top 10 bestsellers list, which I find helpful. They run great specials. Um, Some of their more recent ones that I've taken advantage of are DC Archives Half Off. They had a huge DC sale with, uh, gosh, 60%, 70% off some books. And I got some some really nice items from that as well. Mm-hmm. So that's InStockTrades.com and DCBService.com. Pre-ordering needs and hardback and trade paperback needs. Great sites, both of them. Excellent. Well, this is the first time we've sort of all gotten together uh, since we were yeah. at the most recent wedding of Danny O'Brien and Mr. Bill Ellis. It was a lot of fun. Indeed. So congratulations to those crazy kids, of course, from the... Webcomic All New Issues, of course, from Wild Pig Comics, longtime friends of the show, longtime friends of, of Chris as well. Yeah. Oh, yes. And so we're all there for the 
Yeah, as well. We were all there for the wedding. It was it was a very nice time to see everybody all together in one place. It was a hoot and a half. Yes. It changed the words right out of my mouth, brother. <laughs> we really should have pushed those two tables together. <laughs> yes, I agree. Now, I guess my one question is, are they legally married? Because Chris performed a ceremony. <laughs> yes, yes. They, uh, the legalities were already taken care of prior. Ah, which is what I was suspecting. Okay, yeah, I, I just want to ask because I'm, I'm, hmm, are they really married? Is this are they living in sin? (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so did the corrupt state government of New Jersey not actually empower you to uh, marry the two of them, then, Chris? Of course not, (laughs) Merd. That was all a facade. I I perform the more important spiritual side of everything. So yes, you know. But the paperwork was already done. Uh, That's kind of what I figured. I just wanted to make sure we got that out there. Beautiful wedding, I beautiful set. Going in, but you were, you were so convincing in your presentation, Chris. I, just, <laughs> I thought maybe you just like slipped somebody a, a ten spot somewhere, and they're like, okay, <laughs> sure. Just as a no, my, for a day. I appreciate that, my friend, but it's simply just because I talk for a living. I just can get up there and let it rip. So <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you for putting those uh, powers to work for us. Oh, my pleasure. It was a, a Doctor Who theme to it, which was fantastic. Beautiful hall. Oh, yeah, very, very nice. Yep. Yes, there were, I think, 13 tables. We actually were at table 13, yes, we were. most of us. And Lucky us. Yeah, each table had a TARDIS with a number. In, a silhouette of a, a TARDIS. A silhouette of a TARDIS in each one. And I guess the number of that particular, particular doctor underneath it there. So we yep. actually were table 13. We were the John Hurt table. Yep. <laughs> we were the war doctor. Yeah, we were. So I guess Chris was at table 11, which was, of course, the Matt Smith doctor. Hmm. And I there was a Peter Cushing table anywhere. Oh, I don't know. I don't know about that. <laughs> there should have been. Nobody ever counts Peter Cushing. Oh, I know, and they that, should. Those movies are great. That's a whole nother episode, Murd. You're getting on. Well, off. if it had gone to like 14 or 15 tables, they, they would have had no choice. Yeah, don't forget <laughs> the, um, the photo te- booth. Well, I was going yeah, to mention the photo booth. Photo booth was a hoot and a half as well. That was a lot of fun. I've been to a couple events that have had photo booths, and by far, I had the most fun with this one. <laughs> Oh, that was one of the highlights of the wedding. I got a slew of great pictures to put on the fridge from that one. Yeah, yes. that was great. Yeah. I took them into work so I could enjoy all my friends there. Yeah, and we put it. They've been a few on Twitter and Facebook. Yep. And pants, I must say, in the photos I have of us as a group, you look quite dashing in your jacket and tie and poses. Every now and then, well I done, can sir. I can I can dress up and be proud of myself <laughs> to go out every now and then. When they're introducing the the wedding party to come in, of course you have you know the the bridesmaids and everything, and they were all in the other part of hall, you know, with their little arches holding up, mm-hmm. and then they introduced you know the bride and the groom, and I found out later this was an almost on the spot what happened next. Bill grabbed her hand and they just ran right into the theater there, just like in the first episode with Rose, sure, because I guess the Danny's was her was flung out of her shoes because <laughs> they were too, so they decided to just grab hands and run. And I thought, oh, that, but that was unscripted, that wasn't planned. So more kudos to them for pulling that off. Brilliant stuff. They played a couple Doctor Who themes as they were announcing and bringing yes. people out. That was nice. Uh, nobody else but me, I guess because I'm the geek that I am, brought a sonic screwdriver. I actually brought two of them. I had two in my suitcase at the hotel. I left them there. You putz. I forgot them. <laughs> So, yes, but they did bring them with me. Right. So, again, big congratulations to them, and uh, it was much fun all around. So, trust me, we'll eventually get to these books, but I do have a few other uh, topics, uh, business at hand. Murd uh, recently, uh, last week, put out a episode of his podcast called The Time Bubble, which was the first time we put it out on the main Comic Geek Speak feed. 
Um, I had looked at the numbers of how many downloads this gets, and it was getting not as many as I want to see. And it's such a great podcast. We're going to talk about what you do on the podcast. Oh, well, okay. Um, it, it's, basically, it, it's my way of uh, milking my uh, uh, comics reading delinquency <laughs> and uh, using it as an excuse to have a spinoff podcast of my own. It, it, it's me uh, pretending to be a time traveler on board my uh, Legion of Superheroes-style time bubble, uh, talking about uh, the uh, comic books of yesteryear that I bought you know, some 12 years ago, 13 years ago, you know, the gap keeps growing. Um, I bought them when they were new back in 2002 or so, and I'm just now getting around to reading them. And as I read them, I review them in as much detail as I can fit into a couple of hours of uh, recording time. And uh, then I slap them on the Internet for you to listen to. So it's, it's kind of like a back-issue spotlight kind of thing. Slightly more pretentious and a lot more long-winded. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, it, it used to have its own feed, and I wasn't seeing it get that many downloads. And I put it on the main feed, and it got more downloads in about 12 hours than its last one did in three months. Hmm. So I oh. hope that getting it exposed to more people down – I hope they'll actually listen to it. I mean, I understand if you yeah, see it and don't know what it is. <laughs> but I hope you listen to it, hope you enjoy it, because actually later on this week – uh, there will be a World of Toys podcast out oh, on, wow. on, on the main Woo-hoo. feed. Right. Yeah. Uh, World of Toys is a podcast Shane and I used to do a long time ago and sort of fall behind on it. Uh, so we're putting that out on the main feed. Um, there's been a little bit of people saying, well, why is it on the main feed? Well, that's my decision. I want to get more exposure to these podcasts because not everybody knows we have different feeds. And gets so. Yeah. And as always, if you don't want to talk, I mean, if you don't want to talk, if you don't want to hear an episode, just don't download it. Or don't listen to it. You know, no hard feelings. But I want to give these things more exposure. Speaking of more exposure, perhaps you may have seen something that comes into your feed daily, a little thing called Mohatmu. Murray, right, want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, that is uh, my tribute to the uh, first volume of the, from 1983 of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe, one of the greatest uh, superhero reference guides ever assembled uh, by uh, geeks, uh, well, under the auspices of an official comic book publisher. Uh, it was put together by uh, the late, great Mark Grunewald, one of my personal idols, uh, with uh, lots of able assistance from people like Mike Carlin and Tom DeFalco. Uh, and it, it, um, I, I'm just uh, sitting down and recording um, word for word, as much as possible, every single entry uh, from that uh, first volume of, of uh, Ohatmu. And so each uh, entry takes me maybe three or anywhere from three to five minutes to make an entry, uh, to read an entry, uh, makes an, an episode of the Mohatmu spinoff thing. So by the time I'm finished, hopefully uh, I'll put together sort of an audiobook version of uh, the volume one of the official handbook of the Marvel Universe for everyone to listen to and enjoy. And with a few exceptions, it's been in alphabetical order. We both didn't catch it right away. We actually skipped a couple entries. <laughs> yeah, the problem arose when my laptop crashed last year, and uh, we lost about a dozen entries that way. And um, we didn't realize until – Pants and I came to this realization at almost exactly the same time <laughs> uh, that, that we were missing these the 12 entries. And we'd only put out, I think, two entries out of alphabetical order. Correct. At that point. So easy enough to uh, mistake to forgive. Yes. We have uh, – Corrected it, and I am now putting these things out again in alphabetical order, and hopefully the uh, course will be straight and uh, unruffled for the rest of the way through here. Yes. 
I think that's very cool. Yeah, yes. very cool. And I will be recording those little uh, appendix uh, pages at the backs of those issues, too. Those are going to be fun. And I want to emphasize to listeners that this is riveting listening because it's Murd described. Like I just heard – I just listened to the Asgard entry. Absolutely riveting. It's just Murd listing the first appearances primarily of the various Asgardians. Riveting. Murd, you sell it very well, my friend. You flatter me too much, Chris, but I, I fondly remember us sitting around the dining room table of my Stone Harbor house when uh, – was it, was it you, Brian, who found uh, a couple of those Mohawken things on yes, your phone? Yes, I, I found the Arnim Zola one. We played that for the listeners at the and table. It just, it just played it for our assembled guests there down here in Stone Harbor, and Chris was enwrapped. <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> so there's also been a few uh, inquiries, Murd, about the crisis tapes. Can you give us an update on that if you have one? Uh, well, I don't necessarily. Uh, well, P- Peter and I have uh, yes, that, that is Peter the Rios Rios, uh, <laughs> his, his very own self. He's uh, he is as interested as I am in uh, putting together a crisis tape special to talk about uh, Grant Morrison's multiversity, uh, which is what we're going to be touching on in tonight's Off the Rack episode as well. Um, we, we wanted to pick apart and analyze the um, multiverse map that uh, DC put together and uh, distributed as kind of a, a promotional giveaway thing at the, at the San Diego convention this year. Um, and we might even find some time to uh, do a little selective footnoting of uh, the first issue of Multiversity itself. But uh, it's just a matter of finding time to get together and record because Peter, uh, Peter's schedule has been kind of crazy so far. Uh, so we're hoping to find a day when the two of us can uh, maybe be physically present in the studio together to, to do that. So that's uh, that's the closest thing to a crisis tapes update I have. Okay. Excellent. Uh, I've got just a few more things before we dive in. I know, oh, get to the content. Well, I have a few more matters at hand. It's been a while since we've done one of these episodes, yeah. Reg, so bear with me, people. Um, it's actually, this episode goes live just, I think, less than two weeks away from the New York Comic Con. And I want to mention a little bit about Rock Comic Con. Uh, Rock Comic Con is the popular geek nerd music festival. Uh, it's happening uh, this year, uh, the opening day of New York Comic Con, Thursday, October 9th. It's a uh, concert. You've got a couple of acts, including Harry and the Potters. Uh, they're a uh, Godfathers of Wizard Rock, it says here. Uh, Electro Spaz Group, Math the Band. Seattle pop favorites Kirby Crackle will be appearing, as well as New York City's own comedy punk H2 Awesome and more. Of course, longtime friend of the show, Charlito from the Inner Rack, and his brother, Jeff Rito, are head up H2 Awesome. And, of course, Kirby Crackle does our theme song for the Comic Geek Speak podcast here. So check that out. Go to rockcomiccon.com to get your tickets. Again, it's Thursday, October 9th. show uh, starts at 7 o'clock. Doors open at 6.30. It's at the Webster Hall in the Marlin Room at 125 East 11th Street in New York. Uh, there will be door prizes, uh, special add-ons. Uh, Kirby Crackle will actually will create, for one lucky winner, a 30-second song of their very own. Just for them. That's pretty cool. So what we had them do for us with our <laughs> theme song for the podcast here. Um, there are all the other special guests coming up soon as well. But they will also have a presence at the show floor itself at booth 2845. So stop by there, visit the acts, and a couple artists will be there throughout the weekend. Um, there is no podcast arena at New York Comic Con this year. So comic geeks, people will not be set up. But uh, some of us will be attending the convention. Myself and Brian Deemer will definitely be attending the convention. 
and we'll probably put out on our Twitter feed, uh, which is Comic Geek Speak, if we're going to make an appearance at the booth and when. So if you want to stop by and say hi, maybe get a uh, Jamie D button, we'll let you know when we'll be there. So again, that's rockcomiccon.com to get your tickets. Always a good time. So a few more quick things. Uh, we got in the mail a couple of uh, books I want to talk about. Check this out, Shane. In the first ever children's picture book that nice. features Marvel characters during the holiday seasons and also includes a read-aloud CD nice. with the voice of Stan the Man Lee comes Happy Holidays from the Avengers. That's awesome. This came out from Marvel Press on September 16th. It's eight ninety nine. I did not know they didn't actually do any holiday books. No, I didn't either. Eight ninety nine is not a bad price yeah. for a kid's book with a, a read a, a listen read, along yeah. story. Wow, and Stan Lee, that's yes. cool. So I will test it out on wow. my four-year-old nephew who actually isn't really into superheroes yet, so I'm trying to get him in. This would be a great way to have him uh, listen to the book and read along because he, he loves reading books. That's well, great. What, what does Alexander prefer then if he doesn't like superheroes? Uh, likes a lot. Well, likes Thomas the Train. He likes uh, Lego, likes anything construction-based. Um, I've tried superheroes a bit, but uh, I'll, I'll try a little harder this time. <laughs> Cap even has a Christmas kind of shield. Yeah. <laughs> and I think actually Ron Lim does some of the illustrations in the book. Oh, well. Yes. All right, and one other announcement before we dive into the off-the-racks. I had to do this. We had a listener send us something from Australia. Oh, wow. That's no small There you feat. go. It says, To Comica Geek Speak, I hope this finds you well. Please find enclosed with this letter a copy of my comic, Hunt the Beast. I've been working on it for a while, and I thought you guys might enjoy it. Please let me know what you think. With kind regards, Martin Bow. Bow? Bow, yes. Yep. Oh, he was a frequent correspondent for a while there. Tried to well, deceive the D several times. Yes. So he's from Australia, so, he's, so now I, I, I just got it today, so I haven't had a chance to really dig, th- dig through too much. But I'll pass it around to the guys. We'll take a look at that. So thank you very much, Martin. That's very kind of you. From Australia, it came in. came in airmail, actually. <laughs> All right. Thank you. Give me the book back. Give me the book Very cool. All right. Enough tomfoolery. Let's jump. Well, listen, guys, is there anything else you want to talk about before I jump in? Pat, I just want to tell you something. Sir. I'm looking at the recently released from Tomorrow's. It came out today, American Comic Book Chronicles, the 1970s. Okay, I think we have a copy in the studio here. Hang on. You guys, you guys got to look at this book. It is amazing. Wow. Merge, holy mackerel, this is up your alley. Yes, I have it right here in my hands, the 1970s. It's, it's just skimming, this might be their best edition yet. The, 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 the attention to detail in here is phenomenal. Uh, God, Tomorrow's is such a vital company. Holy mackerel. There's timelines of a year by year. Because they they put it also in context of the events of uh, the world at that time. Exactly, yep. It goes year by year. Stunning. There's there's scans of original artwork in here. Oh, my God. I just just want to say to listeners, if you're interested in comic book history, these American uh, comic book chronicles, these are essential reading i can't recommend them enough they're wonderful oh holy crap there's a section i just turned to about the original art that went missing yep oh man i gotta look through that oh this is coming home with me boys this is a particularly impressive edition really really well done good gosh almighty all right guys there's nothing else then let's get into the meat of the episode 
Um, now, of the three books, I have unfortunately have only read the first one, so we're going to start off with the Strangers in Paradise Kids. And as usual, I will try. I will read the original solicit, which drew our eye to the book. Thank you very much. Okay, this is S. Strangers in Paradise Kids. Actually, Sip Kids, if you for short. Yeah. Number one, written art and cover by Terry Moore. They're back. The Strangers in Paradise gang returns in their first all-new full-color story since 2007 as six-year-olds. Francine and Kachu comb the neighborhood for a missing peanut butter and jelly sandwich, but Darcy bribes Tamby to find it first, and every suspect reeks of PB&J. Meanwhile, the mysterious kissing bandit seems unusually fixated on Francine, and Casey launches an all-out attack on David's no-girls treehouse. 24 pages, four ninety nine. Now, actually, that solicit has nothing to do with what's actually in the book here. <laughs> I'm not sure where, where that I, – I got it off of the interwebs for right, number right. one, but that's not what the book is about at all. <laughs> so – but but anyway, basically, it's Terry Moore doing everything, art, you know, writing with Trans Paradise Kids as six-year-olds. How could you go wrong with this? Oh, my gosh, yeah. So I'll start out because, you know, Bye. I agree. Bye. Uh, bye for me too. Oh, this this is an epic buy. Yeah. This, this 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 is one of the greatest masters of comics right here. Come on. Yes, I mean, I, buy. Yeah, Terry Terry Moore drawing these characters again as youngsters. It's it's funny. This particular issue actually deals with uh, the a soccer, a soccer game in the game. background, <laughs> and you meet all the characters again. You, you know, Francine, Kachu, David, Darcy. Uh, and, you know, they have little hints. Uh, if you know the actual Strange and Paradise yeah. story, there's little hints there. They're sort of in their proper places. <laughs> yeah, sort of in their proper places. Uh, it's it's very well – again, he hasn't really done color in a while. And there's actually a little um, – I don't I won't say a mod, but a little gag about when it goes black and white for yep. a minute. Which Four is, panels. Oh, which is gorgeous. My favorite page in the book. Oh, my God. I just got a very Sunday comics kind of feel out of this. Just, you know, reading it, you know – kids in a comic strip it's so much fun now it works on levels for us because we know the the history i'm not sure you can give this to somebody just a first-time reader i mean yeah it's it's kind of cute but I, there's there's more to it than that i think it would be cute and like if i handed it to ben he would get it it's the soccer thing it's charlie brownish i i think they would enjoy it yes, yes i got that same sort of charlie Very brown vibe charlie out brown, of that. yes charlie brown vibe they wouldn't get the depth of things that we know but i still think it would be enjoyable to read Oh, again, just so wonderful to see these characters again. Oh, yeah. And I love – I'm sorry, fans. Go ahead. I was going to real, real quick here. I got, I got some stuff off of uh, Terry's um, blog site saying, to reaction to the kids, number one, was very good. So he's going to make a number two issue. Excellent. Oh, wonderful. Excellent. And it's scheduled for December. I was hoping. So, I mean, I, 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 what more can I say? Bye, bye. It, it's wonderful. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. This was when when I got this, I pulled it right out and read it. Um, like like we said, very Charlie Brown vibe. It was great to to see these characters again, just because we haven't seen them in so long. The four panels of black and white partway through the book, fabulous. Well, before I get too far, actually, the colors by Steve Hacker. I forgot to mention Steve Hacker did the coloring. Um, just a great book, and and like we said, if you know the story, you know the characters. In this kid's world of a soccer game and various other things that happen, they do play their normal parts just as kids. And it's it's funny. It's enjoyable. Uh, it's a buy. And I'm excited to hear that he's going to do a second issue. I was really hoping. Yeah. 
and one more thing before I forget from his blog. He actually drew the cast as kids back at issue 33, and he said he wanted to do more with that. So this is it. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, well, yep, yep. Well, uh, you know, here, here, uh, to everything that's already been said, it's yeah. This is uh, it. Probably is most enjoyable. I'll agree with what Pants said that uh, this is perhaps best given first to someone who's a Strangers in Paradise fan and understands the characters who are all present here. You know, as Shane said, their their personality traits are already uh, in evidence as six-year-olds in embryonic form. Uh, so they, they, they've been... Uh, Moore does a very good job of translating them down in age to you know, the Charlie Brown uh, state of being. Um, but but uh, the, their personalities and the ways they interact with one another, it's, it's clear that... Uh, uh, the relationships that they have will eventually come to share uh, as adults later on, um, or in whatever parallel universe uh, the, the adult Strangers in Paradise comic takes place in, a world without color, apparently. Uh, those relationships uh, remain more or less intact. Um, it's it's just a, it's a wholesome, fun, very Charlie Brown-like, as Shane said. I mean, the, the Charles M. Schultz uh, influence is unmistakable and also very intentional, of course. Um, uh, the art style, uh, it, it evokes uh, Schultz's work very well. And some panels you could swear were uh, the work of Charles Schultz himself. Although I, I will say that, that there are a couple of panels where, uh, you know how uh, sometimes in the Charlie Brown comics, uh, Schultz would just show a couple of characters in straight profile and uh, their mouths would be open and the open mouth would be represented by like a little triangular or circular chunk or wedge taken out of their face. Uh, that that really only works uh, when it's in straight profile. Uh, when he tries to do, when Moore tries to do it in a three-quarter turned head, it kind of makes the head look like it's a giant open sack, or uh, perhaps uh, the mouth of one of those giant uh, deep ocean monster fishes with their big cavernous mouths, like like a goosefish or something. Yeah, so the, the, his translation of uh, the characters into Schultz's style is very good at spot, but but there are a few chinks uh, in the armor, I'd say. Um, there are some scenes between the characters that are very enjoyable for me. I think my favorite is probably the very Linus and Lucy-ish scene between uh, David and Darcy, as uh, David is sitting there playing video games, and then Darcy is uh, sort of uh, kibitzing over his shoulder and then tells him, oh, yeah, your soccer game started three minutes ago. That's that's very much kind of a Linus and Lucy Van Pelt moment. Um, And just just in general, it's it's lighthearted, it's fun, it's nice to see this done in color, so uh, props to Steve Hamaker for that. Um, and I'll agree that those four panels, that four-panel flash-forward to the, uh, the adult versions of the characters, is, it's clever, it's, it's well done, it's poignant, and it's funny. Um, so, yeah, it's, it, it, it's a quick, light-hearted read. But, uh, it's, it, you know, like the work of Charles Schultz himself, its simplicity is fairly deceptive. Uh, the, 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 there are some mature themes bubbling very close to the surface of this comic. Um, it, it's, it, it's not quite as sweet and, as uh, the, the, the peanut strips sometimes were. There's a bit more of an edge here. There's a certain acerbity to it that you don't necessarily find in, in the world of Charlie Brown and his pals. So it's even though there are a great deal of similarity to Peanuts, this is still unmistakably Terry Moore and his uh, his, his characters. Um, so yeah, and I'm also thrilled that there's going to be a second issue because um, just looking at the front cover here, uh, on which uh, uh, Moore has drawn himself and uh, his wife Robin and uh, Steve Hamaker, the colorist, as uh, kids on the front cover as well. There are a few other characters that uh, are characters from Strangers in Paradise. 
um, that uh, don't even get to make an appearance in this first issue. So there's there's lots and lots and lots of other stuff that uh, Terry Moore could do with uh, these little de-aged uh, sip kids. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to hear that there will be a second issue, and hopefully that uh, peanut butter sandwich story that uh, Pants read about, uh, maybe, maybe that will actually uh, come <laughs> to realization in the second issue, because goodness knows it didn't in this first issue. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, this is... Uh, very enjoyable for uh, a Strangers in Paradise fan, and uh, it'd be nice to hear from a couple of people maybe on the forums who uh, haven't read any Strangers in Paradise who may have given this a try. Uh, it's Oh, and uh, well, one more thing. Uh, I haven't read very much of Strangers in Paradise stuff. I've only gotten as far as uh, uh, Volume 3. Uh, but I think in the first volume already, I mean, you, you mentioned, Brian, that, uh, that Moore had tried de-aging the characters in issue number 33 of Strangers in Paradise. Yeah, that's what he says here. I guess the drama is a six-year-old. Yeah, there was one time, it, this is uh, included in one of the stories in volume one, fairly early in the first ongoing series of Strangers in Paradise, mm-hmm. uh, when he tried, a, there was like a little dream sequence. So this is well before issue number 33, I'm sure. Oh, okay. Uh, which we, we saw younger David uh, and Ketchu and Francine. And so, so, you know, in Muppet Babies fashion, that one little uh, dream <laughs> sequence, plus whatever he did in issue number 33, has borne fruit in this uh, issue, which is hopefully not a one and done. We, we already know that there's going to be an issue number two. Um, uh, we're showing that uh, this concept has got uh, some legs. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact that it's gotten such a strong response, it, it, it's heartening that we'll see a lot more of it. So, And I will be buying every issue along the way. Uh, Murray, what Murray, I should concur with your distinction from Peanuts to Strangers of Paradise. I think that's right on the money because, especially the scenes with Darcy, and I would agree that you can read this and not know anything about Strangers of Paradise and still get a lot out of it because that's how good a storyteller Terry Moore is. But if you've read Strangers in Paradise, there's just so many more layers to explore here because every character, whether it's Freddie, uh, Darcy, David, of course, Francine and Cachu, they're the essence of who these characters are as adults are totally captured here as uh, children. This goes back to my long-standing belief that people's fundamental personalities don't really change from childhood to adulthood, in my humble opinion. And uh, I think that's captured here perfectly. Uh, you all mentioned the beautiful uh, four black and white panels. And when Freddie says you know, to Francine, wow, you're beautiful, His Moore's first rendering of, of Francine, where she says, are you okay, is one of the most beautiful faces I've ever seen on a woman rendered in a comic book. I don't think anybody, except maybe John Romita Sr., renders women better in comics than Terry Moore. I mean, his art, there, you know, there's, there's a lot of artists in comics who are great, and then Terry Moore, as far as I'm concerned, he's on a whole other le- level. This, this is, and I'm, I know it's maybe hyperbolic to some, but I mean it dead, dead on. This is a living master of the medium at work here. This is phenomenal material. It's funny, it's sweet, but as Murd pointed out, at the same time, there's that edge that is so intrinsic to strangers in paradise you know catch you going home to her abusive uh mother um it's darcy is creepy because she's darcy and she's supposed to be even as a child uh i love all the the year with freddie is always priceless whether he's a child or an adult um i even love the quick show of the cast from rachel rising showing up at the end of the book uh (laughs) as children which is quite entertaining um (laughs) When I read a comic like this, I, it was four ninety nine. I would have paid ten dollars for this comic. That's how good this book is. I mean, there are very few comics on the stands today, and I think there's a lot of good stuff on the stands today. But you can keep that where it is. What I just said, none of it touches this. 
this guy and, and Patrick made a good point because Terry Moore, I forgot the name of it. He did a comic strip many years ago. I damn it, I can't remember the name of it. I think he did it before Strangers in Paradise. Okay. And you can tell that someone will tell me on the forums, I'm sure. You can tell that he really still very much has those skills. And uh, you know, I can totally see this being almost converted into like a, a strip, like a new part of it would appear on a daily or weekly basis. This is this is the comic book medium at, at its finest. Yeah. You know, as Jamie would say, bye, bye, bye. Yes. <laughs> and thank you for mentioning about the cast of Rachel Riser. I, I forgot about that at the very end because I'm a little behind on that book. But, yes, Terry Moore uh, is, is currently doing Rachel Rising, which is another fantastic book. And he's good. I think sort of have to move around the schedule. I know these books aren't necessarily monthly, but I wish they were monthly because these are just wonderful things. And I, the thing about Terry Moore, because if you read Strangers in Paradise to Echo – to Rachel Rising, he can do anything. I mean, if you pants, you're reading Rachel Rising. Oh yeah, I mean, a little behind, but absolutely, I am. Okay, so, and I mean this in the best way. That is a creepy, fucked up book. Oh my god, absolutely. I mean, that, that is that is nothing like Strangers in Paradise, and Echo is nothing like Strangers in Paradise or Rachel Rising. There are very few creators who can pull that off and make every single foray into a totally different. Uh, Storytelling context, completely different and great. Anybody not reading his work, try it. Try any of the things I just mentioned. Pick up any of those books. It, most likely you, you will then be riveted and go through the whole thing. And also as a treat, you know, there are very slight touches to his previous works in, you know, like Echo and Rachel Rising, which when you're reading make, make me go, oh my god, that's amazing! Oh, yeah. So he's even got a very loose continuity, which is just a little bit of tease, yeah. and it's just so Just enough to make you perk up and pay attention. Absolutely wonderful. It's fabulous. All right. Well, then we're going to move on to the next book here, which unfortunately Alrighty. I did not read, but this is Sensation Comics featuring Wonder Woman number one. Now, this is, this is a digital first book written by Gail Simone and Amanda Dybert. hope I have it pronounced correctly. Art by Ethan Van Skyver and Kat Skaggs. So this is this original solicit. Diana Prince, Amazon Warrior, Ambassador to Man's World, or Champion of Women in Need? All of the above. This digital first anthology series will bring some of comics' greatest talents to Themyscira and give them lease to explore Diana, her world, and ours. Gail Simone and Ethan Van Skyver kick things off when Oracle calls for help after the entire Bat family gets sidelined. But when Wonder Woman steps into the breach... Gotham City's criminals get the surprise of their lives. Then Amanda Dybert and Kat Staggs take Diana to school where she meets her biggest fan. Shane, why don't you start out then? I'd give it a borrow. Um, borrow. This book so pissed me off, it's lucky to get a borrow. <laughs> oh boy, okay. Well, does it get a borrow or does it get a pants? No, I'm giving it a borrow because there's good creators in here, but it's it's more – my wrath is more directed at DC, the company, than what's in this comic book. But I'll, I'll explain myself in a moment. Okay. Um, I like the first story a lot. I thought it was fun to visit what, what I can only assume was their pre-New 52 universe with Oracle um, calling for help and Wonder Woman battling a lot of the Gotham City bad guys. Um, drawn well, fun story to read, neat to see – uh, again, all the the good old fashioned costumes and characters in play, always like a good oracle appearance. Um, the second story didn't tickle my fancy quite as much. 
still an okay read. The artwork wasn't too bad. Um, I, I have to be honest. I wasn't expecting this out of this book. I guess I should have. Uh, I didn't read the solicit. I just we we picked it because it was a, another Wonder Woman book, which is phenomenal in its own right to have Wonder Woman featured in another book. So I'm I'm very much uh, behind that. Um, I didn't realize it would necessarily be an anthology of just non-linear stories, just whatever people felt like writing. Nothing wrong with that, just something I had not looked into. I went into this sight unseen Wonder Woman in, in another book. Um, but it it's still good to have Wonder Woman featured in another book. Again, first story was, was much better for me than the second story. And uh, we'll see what happens with other creators and other issues as time marches on. I, I know, like Pan said, it's digital first. So uh, I think that's also good, bringing something that's that's put out there digitally and combining it for the comic stand. Not a bad thing either, crossing uh, multimedias. Hmm. Uh, yeah, Shane and I had talked about this a little earlier on, and I am in agreement with him that uh, the, the first story is actually is much better than the, the second. Um, yeah, the, the, the backup story, Defender of Truth by Amanda Dybert and Kat Staggs, is, it was only kind of a weak borrow for me, and the lead story was uh, a weak buy, so the two of them kind of average out to a, a medium borrow. Yeah, yeah, the secondary story uh, was just its just kind of a weird random fight scene between uh, Wonder Woman and uh, Cersei in what appears to be their new 52 character designs. And then it just sort of uh, deteriorates after a little twist near the end into a little two-page uh, bizarre G.I. Joe-style PSA in which Wonder Woman talks to a bunch of kids and tells them that it's okay to be themselves. And wondering is half the battle. <laughs> Wonder Woman! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I, I think I must have put that in there. God, I love uh, her. But, so, yeah, <laughs> that, that, that story was a little odd and random. But um, the artwork by Cat Staggs is interesting. Um, but then the, the, the lead story, uh, the, the, the Goth Amazon, which is a very clever title, a little portmanteau action going on there, uh, by Gail Simone and Ethan Van Skyver. That's This is a, 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 it's a fun story, for one thing. Uh, got, uh, Wonder Woman playing in Batman's world. It's, it's something that's been tried once or twice before. I strongly recommend... Anybody who even halfway enjoyed the lead story in this issue, uh, try to find uh, a four-issue story, which I think is available in trade, of, of, of Phil Jimenez's Wonder Woman run from the early 2000s. It was called Gods of Gotham. Jimenez uh, both co-wrote the story with J.M. DeMatteis and provided the art, and it was Wonder Woman going up against a few of Batman's rogues who had been possessed by different Greek gods. So yeah, that, that was a really fun story, and it played to the strengths of both well, Wonder Woman and uh, well, the Batman's rogues in a very compelling way and uh, beautifully rendered, of course, by uh, Jimenez. Uh, so here we've got some beautiful artwork as well from uh, Ethan Van Skyver. As uh, Shane's already said, it's nice to see these characters rendered in their uh, new, well, pre-New 52, you know, their pre-Flashpoint character designs. Wonder Woman herself is, you know, she's got that, that uh, chest plate emblem, which is a combination of the double W and uh, the eagle, um, her two pre-crisis uh, so that, that was what she had as her chest emblem for a while there in the pre-flashpoint uh, continuity and apparently we're back there for this story nice to see that these creators keep going back to that you know, it's, I wonder what uh, DC should be gleaning from the fact that uh, given these creators their choice more often than not they will go back to that version of the characters and that version of the continuity um, so anyway it's Wonder Woman coming in and uh, uh, just uh, kicking some ass against uh, Batman's rogues um, uh, Gail Simone, it, in the few pages allotted to her here, she, she's able to make uh, 
to make her point pretty quickly and succinctly, and then make no mistake, the whole this story it does set out to make a specific point, and that is Wonder Woman is awesome, and she, in at least one respect, is better than Batman because she can accomplish something he was never able to in 75 or so years of his existence. She's able to def- definitively defeat and reform several of his villains. Uh, so it's 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 a war of philosophies here. She's coming in and proving that the Amazonian way of uh, of loving submission, you know, of uh, rehabilitation and uh, nurturance of uh, those who have uh, gone astray in life, um, is better than Batman's uh, philosophy of uh, fear mongering and force. And so that's uh, that's kind of what Gail Simone is trying to bring across here, and she she does so succinctly and effectively enough. Um, and she's able to find some time for some great character moments. Gail Simone is a great writer of dialogue, and it is my opinion that no one, but no one, working in comics today writes better Penguin dialogue than Gail Simone does. She, she puts some doozies in his mouth there. That you said stings, you hoppy haddock, for example. <laughs> yeah, so she's, she, she writes all the rogues. Well, she's just great working with villains in general. You know, she she was the uh, the author and architect of the whole Villains United slash Secret Six concept, which is a favorite of a couple of the people uh, either sitting in the room or on the phone right now. I know Pants enjoyed that series a whole lot. Uh, so seeing her write the Bat Rogues is great, and uh, seeing her write Wonder Woman is great. Um, if I have a complaint with this story, it's uh, simply that it shouldn't have been a single issue story. It, it almost cries out to have been expanded and uh, stretched out into a, an arc, something like the, the, the four-issue length that that Gotham, Gods of Gotham story I mentioned was years ago. Um, it, it just the, the pacing just seems a little twitchy and antsy, like, like she's trying to squeeze too much into the pages that she has to work with here. Like uh, for, well, when, Got, when Catwoman and uh, Harley show up and uh, Wonder Woman just goes, okay, you're my, uh, you're my Amazon uh, cohort here. Uh, I'm number after you. Do not disgrace that office. And then there was another bit where the Amazon, uh, her Amazon sisters show up on horseback, and uh, and they're very quickly dispatched. It, it, it feels a little bit rushed. Um, so if, if it could have been longer, it might have been to its advantage. But uh, that, that's not entirely Gail Simone's. Well, it's not exclusively Gail Simone's fault anyway. This is something. It's a problem that I notice in a lot of these. Uh, uh, continuity light or continuity free uh, anthology series, the likes of which DC seems to be doing these days. You know, the Adventures of Superman thing that they did a little while ago, which was also digital first, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, the, I found that the self-contained stories you find in series like that, that just uh, give you portrayals or perspectives on certain iconic characters without worrying too much about grounding them in continuity, there was a sort of... Uh, existential anxiety this is sort of, that, that sets the whole story a tremble. It's as if these stories are aware on some Morrisonian meta level that uh, <laughs> this version of the characters and the world in which they live, it, 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 it's kind of like a they have a limited lifespan. They're limited to this one story and uh, it's like a, the story is aware that, oh my lord, I'm like a mayfly and uh, this, this version of the characters in the world will not live beyond this one story, and we've got to make our point, you know, go through our motions, say our lines, and then uh, this entire reality is going to disappear. Uh, so I, I kind of sensed a little bit of that in, the, in the, the, this Wonder Woman story as well. And it, it, so it made the pacing seem a little bit uh, twitchy and rushed. Um, but this is, if, if, the biggest complaint I have, though, is that uh, it deserved to be 
you know, a four-issue arc, or better yet, it should be a part of an entire uh, resurrected pre-Flashpoint continuity, so it didn't need to confine itself to a one-shot story in an anthology title. Uh, well, that's, if that's the biggest complaint I have, then the story is probably of, uh, of a pretty high caliber, it may be assumed. So, yes, um, if you like Wonder Woman and if you like Batman's rogues, uh, they're all handled very, very well here. They're all uh, depicted very, very well, although there is, for, for some reason, one page of artwork. I don't know if you guys noticed this, uh, where uh, Van Skyver, I don't know if he got behind Deadline or something, but uh, one page had to be drawn by a fill-in artist named uh, Marcello Di Chiara, and it doesn't look a blasted thing like uh, Van Skyver's artwork. It was kind of jarring. Uh, but it was, after all, just one page, so we can forgive it for that. So, um, But uh, let me echo what Shane said to open, uh, that it, it's just great to see Wonder Woman getting enough respect to be given a second monthly series for the first time in who knows how long. So all hail Sensation Comics. Um, it's just that uh, uh, yeah, the, for a couple of reasons, the two stories in this book uh, averaged out to only a borrow in my estimation. So we'll see what uh, future issues uh, have to offer us in terms of new adventures of the amazing Amazon. All right, Murd, I, I pretty much echo everything you're saying in terms of the quality of the stories. Um, I think my initial reaction to this book, when, I, when we introduced our initial feelings on it, uh, it kind of falls into two areas. One, I agree. I, I think it's great that Wonder Woman is getting a second book. She's a, she's a prestigious character with a, a great history, and she should have it. But you made it $4. Um, again, Wonder Woman comics historically tend not to sell as much numbers as other books, so I don't get the $4 thing. I don't care if there are two stories in it. From a retail perspective, that's the, I think that's, that's, that's a poor idea. Number two, and this is more not directed necessarily at the stories, although the, I, I agree the second one I thought was, was – didn't, didn't leave much of an impression. The first one I enjoyed because Gail Simone is Gail Simone. Um, but this only reaffirmed for me how much I miss, and I'll soapbox here, how much I miss the original DC universe and how boring and stultifying I find the new 52 universe overall. Um, it's almost like reading this story. It actually made me mad. You know, The minute I saw Oracle, I was like, oh, this must be in the original universe. And by the end of it, I was, I was, I was actually angry because – just for, for me, the, the gravitas in the Wonder Woman in this first story is so powerful. The page where um, – see where it is here – where she's looking at the reader. She's talking to Catwoman and Harlequin, and she goes, no, I will remain Diana, and Gotham will change to accommodate me. But, but the fantastic artwork, the expression on her face, and I'm reading the story. I really enjoyed it. Then I go to the second one. I'm like, oh, now we're in the new 52. Wow, this is really underwhelming, like pretty much everything else they're doing right now. And it, it just – I felt teased. I felt teased by a, just a, a, a place and, and a time and a, a home I'd like to return to that I just think, frankly, is just better. And I've given New 52 an extensive number of chances. I've read a lot of different titles. Most of it's just flat. I mean when you read something like this – and Bird, I think you hit the nail on the head talking about how the characters themselves kind of reflect – the sense of fleeting time like the Joker's in the taxi cab, very depressed. You know, I can't shoot you, though I want to, so drive. And you know, it, I, I agree. I think the book had that story had that feeling to it. And you know, I'm giving it a borrow because the, the Gail Simone story is excellent. The other one, I didn't have much of an impact on me, hence the borrow. And plus, I, I just, if you're going to give us this this story, then I want I want more. 
I want I want the gravitas, the original universe back, uh, you know. So that's my take on that. And thus ends the sermon for today? Yeah, <laughs> you never know. It depends what's coming up next. But, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I just, you know, stop making books $4. It's just, come on. You, you, you got to give Wonder Woman a chance. She's got a second book for the first time in how many decades? And, uh, you know, I, I just, that just irritates me on, on, on that level. So, Yeah, I, I can certainly understand that, and uh, that's all I'll say about that. Yeah. <laughs> all right, ready to go on to Multiversity, gentlemen? Been looking forward to this for a long time. Okay. I'll read you this solicit for Multiversity number one. Uh, written by Grant Morrison, art and cover by Ivan Rice, of course, Yvonne Hees, and Joe Prado. The biggest adventure in DC's history is here. Join visionary writer Grant Morrison, today's most talented artists, and a cast of unforgettable characters from 52 alternate Earths of the known DC multiverse. Prepare to meet the Vampire League of Earth-43, the Justice Riders of Earth-18, Super Demon, Doc Fate, the Super Sons of Superman and Batman, the Rampaging Retaliators of Earth-8, the Atomic Knights of Justice, Dino Cop, Sister Miracle, Lady Quark, the Legion of Savannas, the Nazi New Reichsman of Earth-10, and the latest, greatest superhero of Earth-Prime, you. Comprising six complete adventures, each set in a different parallel universe, plus a two-part framing story and a comprehensive guidebook to the many worlds of the multiverse, the Multiversity is more than just a multi-part comic book series. It's a cosmos-spanning, soul-shaking experience that puts you on the front line in the battle for all creation against the demonic destroyers known as the Gentry. In issue number one, President Superman of Earth-23 uncovers a threat to all reality so apocalyptic it will take a team of incredible heroes from across the multiverse to face it, including Captain Carrot, like you've never seen him before. But even with a multitude of alternate worlds to choose from, where every variation is possible, can anyone hope to prevail against the onslaught of ultimate evil and undying hatred in the unstoppable form of a one-time cosmic defender with unimaginable powers? Join us, if you dare, for the beginning of the multiversity. Now, if you guys don't mind, I'll save Murd for last. I Makes sense to me. <laughs> okay, so Shane, Chris, and then Murd. First, first impressions, and then jump in and have at it. I give it a buy. Oh, def- definitely a buy. And definitely a buy. Um, it's fun to see this finally come to fruition and come out and in my hot little hands. It's been teased about for so long. Um, anxiously awaiting. Anything somewhat crisis-related, but especially multiversity from Grant Morrison. I expect it to be crazy at some spots. It's certainly going to be interesting. And I'm along for the ride to see what happens um, with the entire DC Universe by the end of it. The artwork's great. The stories are great. The characters are interesting. It brings in uh, a, a very Crisis on Infinite feel to it as far as bringing heroes together to battle an all-encompassing, universe-shattering threat. Um, I like the addition of, of Captain Carrot, as you've never seen him before, because he's very much a more Superman, superhero-type-looking guy. 
it was fun seeing um, President Superman coming through all this. Um, even um, what's his name? The Last Watcher surprised me making an appearance. Nick Zutan. Nick Zutan. Um, I didn't expect that. I don't know why I didn't think of it. It just was totally not in my head. And reading the first couple pages, thought, "Oh, okay, there he is." Haven't seen him in a while. Good to see him here, and curious to see what happens with him throughout this whole story. But it, it should be a fun ride. I'm looking forward to it. Um, all the different heroes that are in the hall once Superman gets there, the Superman of Earth 23, um, were a lot of fun. It was neat to try and see. I saw a gypsy, what looked like a bloodwind, sitting in there, uh, standing in there, holding something. So I'm I'm very curious to learn more about all these heroes and go through all the different multiversity issues. I'm not going to say much here because, as far as I'm concerned, this this is Murd's baby. But what I will say is that I went into this. Not sure what to expect beyond – I mean I understand the basic premise, but because with Grant Morrison, you're never quite sure where his stories are going to go. And I've loved some of his work, and other, part, other things he's done have kind of left me cold. But I'll re- I'm going to read one line of dialogue, which I think for me sums up why I'm totally into this book. It's the uh, African-American Superman. He's saying – my dad played a mean piano. I've been known to strum the guitar, but this, a trans-dimensional yacht powered by sound vibrations, a musical engine for traveling between universes. Wow. I'm in. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's, it's, it's, it's pure Grant Morrison. That, what, those two panels alone just capture for me why I love this guy's work, because nobody else would think of something like that probably. And and to use it in such a way that it works in the story, and I, I just I'm so excited to see where they're going to go. Because we should mention this is a series; it's not a mini series. So I was actually fooled by this initially as, as when I was ordering. It's not a series; it's not a book just called Multiversity. It's a series of standalone books with different titles that are all tied into the Multiversity saga. The second book, book out today, actually. Um, but this is. I'm very excited by this. And it's Grant Morrison, so it's so whacked on so many levels, yet at the same time, it totally works uh, for me as a reader. Um, and plus, you know, it's got Captain Carrot. I mean, I mean, is there a scene where he's like kind of smushed and he reforms himself or something like that? And which, which was, baby. Exactly, which is just a hoot. And, you know, comics need stories like this, something just so innovative that – you just know whether you're going to like it or not, it's going to push the envelope. And just the idea of you, know, you the reader, feel like you're, you're part of what's going on in, in this story is also exciting. And you know, it's just the visuals. I, I mean you know, the, the, <laughs> the various crafts that they're in, and you know, there's a scene where they're – let me find it here, and then I'll shut up and let Bert talk – but where they're – they're like they're in their flying the craft powered by you know the transdimensional yacht and they're they're where are we we're between universes and you just see like this weird bug creature and you know snapshots of different uh, universes and if anybody out not that I encourage drug use but if anybody out there is in the habit of taking acid or shrooms as part of their life make sure you read your co- this comic next time you're doing that because you'll probably enjoy yourself even more so not that we condone drug use just saying <laughs> so Murd fire away. Oh, well, such such a build up here. Um I I'm not really sure how 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 deep and how much detail I should allow myself to talk here because if I 
start, I'm going to just end up footnoting the whole damn thing. <laughs> yeah, that, that's, that's a tough call. Just, tough call, Murd. Yeah, do what your heart tells you to do. I'd love to hear that, but this is not the time or place. Right. <laughs> so, but um, let me begin by calling people's attention to the front cover. Uh, there's a couple of neat things going on there. Uh, did you notice that the logo, that the M logo, is made up of uh, 51 little white circles and one big uh, crescent-shaped one? I did not. So the, no, I didn't right. count them. Well, entire Orient of Worlds represented right there. And uh, for the benefit of, uh, of the, the casual multiverse reader, they're uh, very subtle. I love the cover design uh, for, for this whole multiversity series of books. If you look along uh, the spine, that row of uh, multicolored little uh, earth-shaped dots there with numbers inside of them, you notice how some of those numbers are yes. gray and others are white? Mm -hmm. The white numbers represent the Earth's. Uh, that are in some way involved in uh, the story that's being told between the two covers of that issue. Fabulous. So you see there's a white uh, number zero, number five, number seven, number 11, number 16, and so forth. Uh, if you pick up a copy of a Society of Superheroes, uh, there are only two Earths rendered in white, numbers 20 and 40, because characters from those two Earths are the only ones that appear. So if you say you can't tell the players without a program, that's the closest thing to a program you're going to get. But it's still a pretty neat feature, I think. Um, but as for the story underneath the covers itself, um, it is a little bit confusing, I must think, for someone who, uh, well, in particular, has not read Final Crisis. If you haven't read Final Crisis, uh, you might want to give it a try before reading Multiversity Number 1. It's not essential reading, but uh, the character of Nix Wotan will make a little bit more sense to you. You'll, you'll understand his deal a little better, how he's the last of an entire race of monitors, and uh, he's been living uh, among human beings on one of the parallel Earths as, uh, well, as more or less a human being, but uh, who's... Uh, hallucinates, or does he, on uh, some of the prescription meds he takes, that he's a, also a multiversal sentinel called Super Judge, uh, taking care of uh, inter-universal uh, problems and threats on various parallel Earths. That's kind of the role that uh, Grant Morrison sculpted for him, and that uh, he has not been allowed to play any place else since Final Crisis ended. Uh, but here's Grant Morrison dipping back into his own toy box, and, uh, well, well, picking up on where he left off with this character, more or less, except that there's also a chimp in a pirate costume along this time. Some of you may be asking, why the chimp in the pirate costume? There is no why to chimps in pirate costumes. Exactly. They, why not? Just there. They, they justify themselves. Jamie would be absolutely agree with me on this subject. It's just fun. I mean, if the DC multiverse could have had a, a detective chimp at one point, it absolutely needed to have a pirate chimp sometime. If the Silver Age had lasted only maybe five or ten more years, there would have been one. And so here it is. Don't don't ask questions about it. Just enjoy it. Uh, so it's it's a story about uh, you now this uh, super judge, the last monitor of his kind, uh, going up against the gentry, horrifying demonic entities from behind reality, who I'm pretty sure are meant to represent uh, various real world forces that are uh, inimical to uh, the imagination and to the enjoyment of stories. Yeah, the fact that uh, the, the one that speaks for the group, Intellectron, the giant flying eyeball, the fact that he speaks in poorly spelled, awkwardly abbreviated text message speak uh, is, uh, is fairly telling, I think. It, it's, I think he's supposed to represent uh, how uh, you know, obsession with communications technology is taking people away from the enjoyment of stories. Uh, that's my interpretation of it anyway. And then we get launched into this marvelously bizarre epic uh, across parallel Earths to, uh, in an attempt to stop what's happened uh, uh, to uh, Earth-7, which is kind of the, the epicenter of, of the chaos that's happening in this issue. It's like a parallel Earth version of 
well, it's, it's a parallel Earth to the parallel Earth of Earth 8, which is home to a bunch of Marvel Comics analogs. So, so Morrison, I'm glad that he's uh, gotten away from uh, the uh, arguably ethnocentric portrayal of the multiverse in which everything just kind of revolves around uh, just parallel versions, different uh, doppelgangers and analogs of the members of the Justice League. Uh, he, he seems to look at the Ori of Worlds differently. He sees little uh, uh, complexes or clusters of parallel Earths uh, that uh, well, sort of mirror one another. And... Uh, so Earth 7 and 8 uh, are parallel versions of one another, and they have almost nothing to do uh, with uh, the realities of uh, well, Earth 0 or Earth 1 and so forth. Uh, so I'm glad that we're seeing a little bit more uh, variety to the parallel Earths being portrayed. Um, awesome to see uh, him using his uh, President Superman character again. Um, I'm with Shane that I was happy to see Gypsy and uh, Bloodwind thrown into the, uh, the crowd scene on board uh, the Hall of... Uh, well, uh, the, the House of Heroes. Because uh, uh, those are characters from the not too uh, distant past who have already come to seem well, well, fairly alien in, in the eyes of contemporary comics readers. So it's cool to see them thrown in there as just a sort of weird uh, spectral presence of, of, of recent, uh, recently defunct superhero continuity. Um, and it's just it's lots of really fun little superhero reality touches. I mean, it's, it's, it's the, the Bloodwind thing I just mentioned, for example. I, I, I agree that it's great to see this version of Captain Carrot that we've never seen before. Um, the fact that he's seen Morrison seems to be stressing the funny part in, in Funny Animal more so than the animal part. Uh, it seems that, uh, as, as Morrison sees it, Earth-26 is basically Toontown from uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, where cartoon physics prevail. And so this this version of Captain Carrot just, just seems to it, it, it it's just pitch perfect. It it it, it uh, finds the middle ground between various different portrayals of Captain Carrot, uh, makes him just a little bit more realistic than he he'd been portrayed before, at least visually. Uh, the way Van Skyver draws him, he looks a little bit more like a real rabbit. He looks a little bit more humanoid. Well, you mean that wasn't Van Skyver, was it? That was. Oh, did I, okay. Uh, hey, sorry. Right, right. It's okay. Yeah, I guess I'm I'm still on the sensation count. Right, Thanks right. for <laughs> straightening me out. There. No worries. Uh, yeah. So he does. He looks a little a little bit less Scott Shaw ish, but uh, not so much less Scott Shaw ish that he's not still a cartoonish fun uh, being. And the fact that he's added uh, cartoon physics to his array of superpowers makes him that much more interesting. Um, so you know, just. There's so many, there's little touches uh, to connect this to the crisis on the Earth story. You know, the fact that this is all taking place on what looks like a crumbling, decaying version of uh, the original monitor's orbiting satellite and uh, the AI that uh, looks just like the original Harbinger. These are all wonderful and much appreciated callbacks to that story. But in the final equation, uh, as a crisisologist, I have to say that this is less a crisis story in the infinite Earth's Marv Wolfman and George Perez, 1985 sense. This is not a reality overhauling apocalypse narrative. Uh, this is more the original definition of a crisis story, which is just a fun, sprawling, mind-blowingly high concept and weird uh, uh, pleasure jaunt between parallel universes. It's, it's to me, it's less a love letter to the original crisis. Although, as I've just said, there are nods of that kind in here. But there's also, it's really more a love letter to the. Uh, to the Earth-1, Earth-2, JLA, JSA uh, annual team-up stories of the late Silver Age and early Bronze Age, maybe a little bit past uh, what Gardner Fox was doing at the beginning. And it's more reminiscent of the, uh, the Denny O'Neill 
Justice League, Justice Society crossovers, where uh, the, the JLA and JSA were up against uh, bizarre menaces like Aquarius or Creator Squared. Read some of those uh, mind-bending stories and see if you don't see a certain tonal similarity between that and what Morrison is doing here. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's really just more about having fun and doing experimental things with a parallel Earth concept than attempting to change everything. You know, this isn't a worlds will live, worlds will die situation necessarily. It's just an exploration of, of, of the diversity of, of creative concepts that are available in a superhero multiverse, the likes of which DC has. And so many thanks to Morrison for putting this all together. I will be watching with rapt attention to see his takes on the various other specific parallel Earths. I especially want to see the promised... Uh, uh, if you look at the uh, text page in the very last page here, uh, the, uh, they're promising us an all-star Superman-like take on the Captain Marvel family of Earth-5. That's what I'm especially looking forward to. I've been just kind of slavering uh, for this, this event to finally see print for the past several years, as we all have indeed, and uh, I've, I'm, I'm much gratified to finally have a copy in my hands. And uh, you know, let uh, let the halls of uh, Halaval ring out with my shout of <laughs> bye, bye, bye. And Murd, if you ever decide to footnote this whole series, we will be listening with rapt attention. That's right. It's it's a distinct possibility, Chris. It's splendid, I, splendid. I, I, sir. I need my uh, my, my fellow uh, crisis taper. Of course, <laughs> I might. All right. Well, uh, is there anything else anybody's recently read they want to talk about? Well, I have something. Certainly. Okay, it's a one-shot from Image Comics uh, by a creative team that calls themselves uh, Keck W and Shaky Kane. I'm assuming those aren't their real names. Uh, but it's uh, the Cap'n Dinosaur special. That is C-A-P apostrophe N, you know, as in crunch. And it's uh, it's really kind of a kicky, ginchy, uh, 60s-style uh, story uh, about, uh, well, a special... Uh, a special agent of uh, the Portal City Police Department, the fictitious city of Portal City, uh, who uh, wears a dinosaur-themed costume underneath the outer uh, rumpled, well, the rumpled outer clothes of a, a plainclothes policeman. And uh, his uh, partner, Honey Moon, a young lady who has uh, lunar superpowers, and uh, they're called in to investigate the, the mis- uh, mysterious murder, a, a drowned man who falls out of the sky. The only clue a uh, free ticket to Palisades Park in New Jersey in his pocket. So, <laughs> Those used to be in like the old comics from the 60s from D.C. There'd be coupons in there for that. Yeah, Exactly, Brian. <laughs> exactly. And there are many That's... other very emphatic nods to the those cheesy old mail-order ads in the back of uh, old Silver Age comics. This whole thing is kind of a tribute to that. It's, well, that it, sounds I, I would say that it's a little bit like uh, the creators of this comic sat down ate an entire box of Frankenberry right out of the box while pouring through a whole stack of old Silver Age comics, focusing on the ads, uh, while uh, reruns of the, the old Jack Webb, Harry Morgan dragnet play in the background. <laughs> and, then they, and then they slipped into a sugar coma and dreamed this comic. It is, it is wonderfully fun and bizarre. Uh, Honeymoon and Captain Dinosaur go to Palisades Park to investigate and find themselves up against the carnival of crime. A whole bunch of villains who are all themed on the uh, old uh, comic book mail order ads of, of days past. Uh, my, my favorite is the House of Frankenstein, which is a, a gang of different uh, uh, of Frankenstein dolls and cutouts of different sizes. Remember the ads for the, the life-size six-foot-tall Frankenstein? Hmm. Uh, that's one of the mail Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yep, absolutely. 
finds a way to work in uh, hypno discs and uh, sea monkeys. <laughs> oh, sea monkeys are a staple. Tell me there were some X-ray specs. Um, not in so many words, no. What about um, the bodybuilding getting sand kicked in your face? What about that? What's that again? Was the, the bodybuilder body getting sand kicked in his oh, face? Charles, Charles Atlas. That's it. That's oh, it. No, 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 no. No dynamic tension, but there is a, <laughs> a, a super protein powder shake. Yeah, that, that, there is a, a one villain who gets her power from drinking those. Yeah, so it's yeah, it, it, it's it's great, weird, uh, silver agey fun. Uh, if you're a, a fan of the work of say Mike Allred or um, or the Dadaist superhero stuff of Bob Burden or even Paul Grist, who has created uh, uh, characters such as uh, Kane and Mudman and uh, Tom Tom the Robot Man and Mister Flopsy Wopsy, that whole weird. Uh, world of, of, of characters uh, whose adventures Image published a little while ago, uh, you would probably enjoy uh, the Captain Dinosaur one-shot. Excellent. Hmm. Anybody, anything else you've read recently? Uh, I would just reiterate, I mentioned it briefly, I think, in the past. The Fade Out uh, by Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. They just released a second printing of number one, which is in stores today. Um, it's Brubaker and Phillips is in a whole series of tremendous crime noir slash crime comics of the in the past several years. Fatal, Criminal, Incognito. Uh this this first issue oh just again reemphasizes why Brubaker is such an important writer right now in the medium. And you know it's about it's the nineteen forties Hollywood uh murder mystery and there's only been one issue but it's already completely riveting. If you're interested in that kind of uh storytelling or if you just want to Read a, a, a writer, a creative team, because both of them are—they work so well together in synergy. At the peak of their powers, go out and grab that second printing. Uh, It's—that he, he, guy is—you know—I talked before about Terry Moore. You know, as one of the great creators. When it comes to just you know flat out writing, you know, balls to the wall, just just Ed Brubaker is one of the best. And this is this is yet another great offering by him. Um. When I went down to Baltimore Comic Con, I picked up a hardback version of Generation Lost in one of oh, the fifty okay. percent or more off bins, and I started to read that as well as um, just and that was just for some fun bwahaha type revisit league stuff. Um, I haven't really reread that at all since it came out, and I also started to catch up on the JLA, the Justice League three thousand book, so I could get ready for. Booster and Beatles appearance in that, which I think was what issue twelve. I think it's coming up or something I like that. I think so. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to get I want to get all caught up on that for when they come in into play. Can't wait. Excellent. All right. Well, I think we've got some time. If you guys want yeah, to do a little bit of discussion on, uh, and of course, spoilers, everybody. It's why at the end of the show, spoilers, spoilers, spoilers for the premiere of the new Gotham TV show. On Fox, just as we record the package, it was just on last night, or I'm sorry, two nights, two nights ago. ago. Yep. Two nights ago. <clears throat> so, since I'm not sure when these episodes necessarily go out in timely fashion, we're going to get a little recent TV talk. Um, well, Sh- Shane's the premier Batman fan, so we should hear from him first. All right, so I was extremely skeptical about this show when it first heard about it. And again, real brief premise. It's basically... Gotham Central, would you well, say? Well, it's Gotham before Batman... Became Batman, but they're all – all the players are there and, you know, younger versions of themselves and, you know, they're not, they're not their villainous selves. Yet. And yet there's also a Gotham Central feel to that. Yeah. Absolutely. I agree with that. Yeah. Okay. Um, 
as as time marched on and we we learned more about the show before it came out, I had some higher hopes for it. Watched the show, I enjoyed it um, for the most part. If I had to say one thing I felt was wrong with it, it only premiered as an hour long episode. Mm-hmm. I thought it was rushed. I thought there were way too many people introduced all in 45, 50 minutes of time. Right. I, I agree th- with that, Shane. I think they should yeah. have taken an episode or two to let some of these other characters come in a little bit more naturally. Um, I didn't necessarily even mind Selena Kyle, who you can, well, who we can only assume is Selena Kyle, coming in as the first character you see going through Bruce Wayne's parents' murders, learning about Harvey Bullock, Jim Gordon. Um, Renee Montoya and um, uh, Crispin Allen is in it. All that's great. Um, But then to have all the other characters just ramrodded down your throat in just one episode, I just thought was a bit much. I would have enjoyed it more if they let the first two or three episodes introduce all the characters over some time. Um, I'm not too sure about Harvey's character, the way he's depicted in this. He seems a little bit more corrupt than what I think... Harvey has always been. Oh, he's a hell of a lot. He's a hell of a lot more corrupt. But oh. at the end of yeah. that, he yeah. kind of pulls it back a little bit that he's more or less under the gun to do that, which doesn't make it right or wrong. But I'm not sure that just Jim Gordon alone could pull everybody out of the sewage that is Gotham right now. To me, Jim, while going into Gotham and being in a corrupt police department to begin with still had some allies that were not corrupt and here it really seems like he's the last man standing alone and he's the new kid on the block well shane i think my guess is there first of all they have donald Logue, who's an excellent character actor oh, playing yeah. absolutely bullock and I, my guess is they're gonna they're making bullock appear more corrupt because they want to and they're going to be partners so they can contrast gordon's nobility with Bullock's, you know, sort of moral struggle. I think we also remember that the MCU characters. I'm going to guess here, if the show goes on for a while, that Gordon will probably end up with them, or at least uh, allying himself yeah, with yeah, them. Is, 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 is my assumption there? I, I kind of saw Bullock's character more of how Jim Corrigan was depicted in the Gotham Central book. Yeah, I mean Corrigan was even more vicious, though. Yeah, um, right, right. Yeah, but no, yeah, I, I could see that too. But again, yeah, it seems like Bullock is just kind of tainted here, as opposed to being completely irredeemable. Yeah, I think what they're they're going for is an arc for Bullock. So, sure. Yeah, Gordon's the good cop, and uh, Bullock represents the the beginning of his effort to uh, pull the entire GCPD yeah, out of the mire. Yeah, good point. And and He's all the of these he reaches first, his first disciple, as it were. Right, and all of these things are just based on the first episode. I mean, it, it still was only one episode of stuff, um, but it it didn't it didn't detract me from from wanting to watch the next episode, the whole season or anything like that. Um, a lot of people that I, that I know that I saw on Facebook that are not comic book fans at all. And, and I'm not one to hold things to, they have to be like the comic book. I am absolutely fine with taking liberties wherever it sees fit for whatever it is, a movie, a TV show, a novel, doesn't matter to me. Um, they loved it. They absolutely loved it. it. Had no qualms about anything that, that I am discussing. So, I think I think for me, it's just some things since I know these characters from so many other things, just kind of sifting in a little bit. But again, if I had one thing to say, if someone said pick your one problem, I think the episode was rushed and too many characters introduced in that first episode. I didn't mind the 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 Waynes being murdered the way they were. I thought that was pretty true to it. 
um, how we've seen so many times over. I enjoyed Alfred, although a lot of people didn't. Oh, I was come on, it's Sean that. Pertwee, well, for yeah. God's sake. How can you not like the Doctor's he's, son? He's great. Well, he's, despite I mean, uh, that's great, but I'll he's, talk, he's a wonderful I'll talk actor. about Alfred in a moment. Um, I think he's depicted a little bit more like um, like what the 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 most recent Beware the Batman cartoon, a little bit more hard edged, um, or how that Earth Earth One Alfred was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did I didn't mind that at all. I. I'm looking forward to seeing how fast they let these characters develop into what we know them to become. If and and I hope they don't. I mean, I don't want Poison Ivy next week to come out and be in control of plants and things like that. I just just curious where they're going to fit in the grand scheme of things as time goes on, or if some of them were just placed here as just nods to they're around the city. But I enjoyed I think- the episode. I thought it was well done, well produced. All the sets, the writing was pretty solid. I think it'll. I think it, it gave me uh, a a better hope that this show could sustain itself for quite a while. Uh, but gentlemen, I'm sorry. After my critique, I do have to depart. I apologize. For That's that. fine. Okay. Um, I went to like Shane. I went to this, you know, not with an axe to grind or anything like that. I, I agree with Shane. You know, whenever they do an adaptation of a comic and other other form of media, you, you know, I don't. Expect it to be completely faithful to the comic interpretation because sometimes a that would be absurd, or you know maybe that the creators have thought of a different interpretation that can be just as enthralling. Um, I had very mixed feelings about this this show. Uh, what I really liked, I think the actor playing Gordon is great. He reminds me of young Russell Crowe. Um, uh, ben liked, McKenzie. Yeah, I liked his intensity. Um, you know, I like to emphasize the fact they had a military background, which is very important to Jim Gordon because that's how he can sometimes handle himself physically against, you know, some of these other criminals and uh, corrupt cops and so forth. So I really enjoyed his performance. I love Donald Logue. I always have the character actor. I think he's great. He'll be great as Bullock. Um, I agree with Shane. I understand why they might have done this, but they every, virtually every villain was pushed into the first episode. Um, that could have been draw out a little bit to create, you know, more anticipation, but maybe they wanted to get it all in there first so people could get excited about that. Um, I thought the kid who played Bruce, Bruce Wayne was outstanding. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they were very graphic in how they displayed the murder of his parents. Probably the most graphic rendering I've ever seen of that murder, at least in like a television or a movie. And, you know, his reaction to it when he just starts screaming, I thought was very powerful. And when Gordon goes to visit him later in the, in the mansion and says, you know, he, gives, he, goes, he kind of gives him his badge, and I thought the kid captured that intensity and that laser beam focus that you would eventually expect Batman to have, and and I really enjoyed that. Um, and just kind of when he got up and walked out of the room, and you already you already saw like, all right, there there's that there's that edge there, there's that there's that focus and that and that 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 darkness. So I really enjoyed that that, that actor's interpretation of, of, of a young Bruce Wayne. Um, Alfred threw me a little bit. I have to admit, I, I'm not used to Alfred saying words like "mate" while he talks to people. <laughs> um, doesn't mean it's he's going to be a, a, not going to be a, be, a good a, a good interpretation. It, it just, I think they're probably thinking, okay, everybody's accustomed because just Shane pointed out, most people watching the show probably don't read Batman comics, but they're used to Michael Caine being Alfred in the Batman movies, so they clearly went a totally different direction in how they're interpreting Alfred. I hope, though, if they're going to make him edgier, explore his military background. Alfred was a badass, and you know, I, I, we'd like to see them go into the fact that he has 
military training. He's a, he's a medic and all these different things. I think that would be very interesting. Um, as far as Jada Pickett Smith uh, as the crime boss and, and the various villains, nothing really excited me as of yet. The actor playing Falco- Falcone is a tremendous actor. He was on The Wire, so I think he's a great choice for that role. Um, yeah, that was a, I'm sorry, it was John Doman. Yeah, yeah great actor. I hated, I hated the music. I thought the music was horrible in the show. Um, I felt like I was watching an old WB show whenever the music came on. <laughs> um, that's, and that's not a good thing in my opinion. And things like Gordon running, and they like had the camera shaking like to try to simulate what his experience is running, just that did not work for me at all. I thought it was excessive and just self-indulgent. Um, but any new show, I, I, I always give any show several episodes at least before I really have like a, give, like give myself the luxury of a definitive opinion on it. So this interested me enough, especially some of the actors who are involved in it and, and the potential plot lines are setting up that I, I'm interested to see uh, where they go with it. Um, and I, I won't talk about it because Pants hasn't watched yet, but I, I watched that and the first episode of the second season of S.H.I.E.L.D. both last night. And all I'll say is, because it's interesting to watch them back-to-back, and to watch the premiere of S.H.I.E.L.D., I just really appreciate how far that show has come and how damn good it is now. Um, and I, I hope Gotham can reach those those same heights. Because, it, you know, the, the Batman mythology is so strong, you can interpret it in so many different ways that I, I hope I hope they, they do it justice in uh, in this new version. And, and Chris, on, on Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., I watched that as well, and I will say the same thing. The only thing, and I hope they revisit it, is I felt like I missed something. There's such a gap of time, and, and, and rightfully so. It's, you know, it's the summertime. Months have gone by that yeah. I really want to see some of what happened in those times we haven't seen now. Okay, we, 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 when we talk about that, I know what you mean. When we talk about that together, when we've all seen it, we can, we can definitely go into that in yeah. more detail because I understand what you're saying. But I still Gentlemen, I, I apologize. I missed a part. Okay. Uh, we understand. But uh, I pants retrocon. Can't wait to be in the trenches with you side by side. Well, brother. actually, that's already happened, and here we had a great time there. <laughs> oh, that's right. <laughs> I forgot we were about the space-time continuum. Uh, <laughs> my apologies. Brothers, I wish you all a fine evening, and I look forward to seeing you on October 3rd. Absolutely. Excellent. Good night, gentlemen. Take good night. care. Good night. All, all right. Good night. Only. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll give my brief thoughts on, on, on Gotham. Um, I With most of these shows, even the, even the Flash, which I love that's come out, I have pretty much paid no attention to specific details. I know some of the casting, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. Um. The show did not wow me over. It's not like, oh my god, I gotta see this game like some certain shows had. But I will stay with it for because for God's sake, it's Batman based, and yeah. I want to see how it goes. Um, I, I I very much loved how I think the casting seemed to for certain the villains nail them visually. The actor looked like the looked like the Penguin. Yeah. The Riddler, Catwoman. I thought those just looked really spot on. Um, I, again, I, I love seeing Sean Pertwee coming as Alfred. I didn't know that was there. I was like, oh, my God. Oh, Sean, really? oh. Sean, 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 again, I didn't really tap my head. Okay. Oh, my God, it's Sean Pertwee. Um, the story didn't really necessarily 
engrossed me too much. I, I, I have to concur with you now that you mentioned that. I didn't think of it. That the, yeah, there were so many characters introduced in here. I, it didn't. It took me a while to realize, oh, that's Sarah Essen as the you know head of the department there. And that's not Barbara Gordon. Well, it may be eventually, but it's Barbara yeah, but Keen, it's, right. who is also a whole other story about her background, there, which right. we can go into at some other point. Um, I, I'm going to give it a shot. You know, I... I was hoping it wasn't going to be like Smallville based where it's like, you know, it's like a villain of the week kind of thing. But then again, you've got so many great superhero villains in the Batman universe to choose from that it probably, will it, it, probably it probably won't be so bad. Because with Smallville, they weren't necessarily known right away. It was Kryptonite Freaks of the Week. Yeah. I think the second episode is entitled Catwoman. I'm sorry, it's entitled Selena Kyle. So maybe we'll, we'll get to see it. Maybe they'll do more slow arcs on these characters. Mm-hmm. Um didn't really care for Fish Mooney. Didn't really interest me at all. Um, but yeah, they they pulled from so much mythology. I, I loved seeing Renee Montoya and Christmas Allen. Yeah, is it Christmas? I'm Christmas. Chris, Crispin. I'm sorry. Crispin. I love seeing the characters there. Um, and the 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 interaction between Barbara Keen and Montoya with their conversations, like, oh, okay, uh-huh. interesting. Um, knowing what we know, no, again, <laughs> knowing what we know, and I guess, I, I guess, if you're even if you don't know, you you, you you could, and you're watching, and you're paying attention, you're smart, you can figure out what's going on there yeah, or yeah. what was going on there. Yeah. Again, overall, it was okay. What didn't wow me, but I'm going to stick with it and hope for better things down the road. Uh, well, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. So, yeah, well, like you, Brian, I went into this with no preconceptions. I, I, I think we. That's sort of both of our M.O., our shared M.O., mm-hmm. that we prefer just to, to go in with a clean slate. Um, I, I really enjoyed the, uh, well, the, the opening sequence, the, 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 the build-up to the, the, murder, the murder of Thomas and Martha Wayne and mm-hmm. what happened shortly after that. After, I was pretty well – I was feeling sold on the series at, at, at that point. But then as the episode uh, um, wore on, uh, I was feeling a little bit less certain. Um, I will agree with you, Shane, that uh, the, the production values are very high. This is clearly not, not produced on a, a CW budget. Um, you know, so the, the sets and backdrops were all high quality. You could tell that there was a you know, high budget for cinematography. At no point did I feel like the whole thing was being shot in a warehouse in Vancouver someplace. So it, it, it trumps Smallville in, in that respect and, and the other superhero-type dramas that the, the, the CW is producing nowadays. Um, uh, I, I didn't really notice uh, all the issue you had, Shane, with uh, the, the, the overpacking of the you know, overcrowding of the show with the in, with the rapid introduction of new characters. Since many of them were just kind of brief cameos, uh, I'm thinking of the Riddler in particular and Poison Ivy. Uh, though, if it turns out that we're going to be tracking the uh, development of all of these individuals as they slowly but surely and inexorably uh, uh, travel along their um, meteoric uh, paths of destiny towards becoming supervillains. Uh, if we have to see the progress of the Penguin and the Riddler and, and Poison Ivy every single week, then, well, then retroactively I think you've been proven right. Um, so yeah, the pacing wasn't really such a bother for me. Um, not very much enamored of the writing, though. Uh, one thing that I was hoping for, you, you, you've already compared the show, Shane, to uh, like a Gotham Central kind of thing. I was hoping for it to be even closer to Gotham Central than what we've seen so far. And it is just the first episode. We have to keep reminding ourselves. Uh, whatever respective, whatever faults that we respectively happen to see in, in this first episode may work themselves out in time. But um, what I saw in this first episode is really 
more soap opera than, than, than police procedural. Um, I, 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 some of the, the character interactions uh, rang kind of false for me. I, I completely dislike uh, the Barbara Keene character. I don't like the actress they cast to play her. I don't like the fact that she's a, a well-heeled art gallery owner so that she and Gordon live in this posh, luxurious apartment like, uh, to make their lifestyle you know, more glamorous and sexy. But there's no room for glamour and sexiness in the life of a Gotham cop, you know, especially one who's just starting out, as Gordon is. So that's 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 pretty blatant. You know, those soap opera elements being introduced there. Um, the, the scene between Montoya and uh, and Barbara did not work for me at all. It was awkward. Um, did, did you say that there was maybe more than met the eye going on there, Brian? You didn't pick up on that at all, Murd. Pick up on what? The uh, sexual undertones. Oh no. Oh had, okay. I, no, well I had kind of forgotten that Montoya was a lesbian in the comics. Right. Um, but yeah, the, but this Montoy isn't necessarily. I, I, I did not see, no, that that uh, did not make any impression on me whatsoever. All I saw was kind of an awkward scene between two characters that I saw no reason uh, to interact in the first place. It's just yet another little terse confrontation between characters, the, the likes of which you know scenes like that were showing up in Smallville all the time to the point that they got really irksome. And I don't want to see the same thing happening on this show. Okay. And as far as uh, again talking of police procedurals, I think I'm speaking for Matt here. He, he'll probably have a, a similar comment to make. But what passes for police work in the GCPD, and, and even on the part of Jim Gordon, who's supposed to be one of the good cops in the department. You know, he, he goes to, uh, you know, after act, uh, mistakenly killing uh, Mario Pepper, thinking that he might have been the one who killed the Waynes, he goes back to the deceased's apartment and discovers that uh, he didn't have any shiny shoes in his closet. So therefore, he must not have killed the Waynes because the killer was wearing shiny shoes and because there's no such thing as garbage cans all over the city where a murderer could dispose of shiny shoes after committing such a crime. Yeah, this, t- taking the, the lack of shiny shoes in the man's closet as a major is uh, well, an exonerating factor is ridiculous, <laughs> and I'm sure Matt would. Do so. so whoever's writing the show doesn't seem to have much of an idea how to write decent, you know, crime fiction or police procedural TV shows. So uh, hopefully they'll get in some other writers and they'll pursue some different storylines that emphasize the police work angle because that's kind of what I was hoping this show would be. Um, and uh, I don't really need to see you know the Penguin every single week or the Riddler every single week either because. I think going forward, uh, that that problem that Shane mentioned of uh, overcrowding of the characters and uh, the, the 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 bogging down of the pacing is going to become uh, a, a pretty serious uh, a body-wide uh, infection uh, afflicting the show. Uh, so, uh, as, as you said, Brian, I'm, I'm not. Uh, I am going to join you in continuing to watch this show, come what may. You know, give it like a season's worth of a chance, unless it annoys me as badly as Arrow did in the first season. In which oh. case, I will. In which case, I will drop it. Oh, Shane has already taken me aside and told me that I need to give the second season a chance. He took you aside? I did. It was <laughs> might have been at yeah, the wedding, at, even. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep, before the ceremony <laughs> began. So, so maybe I will. Maybe, But uh, yeah, the, the first season was a, a total turnoff for, for Arrow for me. Um, uh, so so far, yeah, I, I, I have definitely mixed feelings about the, the first episode of this show. and uh, well, Hopefully things will improve. Now, now that's not to say as much as as I'm going to stick with this a while and watch it, and I think it it did okay as a premiere, um, in spite of my misgiving of cramming everybody in. <clears throat> For me, I think when the Flash premieres, it will blow everything away, including Arrow. As much as I like Arrow, I think this first Flash yeah. pilot looks 
fantastic. From what little I've heard about it, I try to ignore as I can. I am so looking forward. First of all, John Wesley Ship oh, is back in it, and Amanda Pays is back in it. How, how do you? Oh not, my God! How do you not love that? I, I, I do love it. Oh, it's fabulous. <laughs> but again, want to wait till I know it's been out there. Hell of a show they showed at a Comic Con, so oh. it's it's been out for a while. Trailer's so good. Well, I, oh. I know you don't like them, but oh boy, it's so much fun to watch. But I'm looking forward to that, and we'll talk about that at some point when it comes out as well. All right, if there's nothing else, gentlemen. We'll wrap it up. Oh, thank, yeah. thank you for listening. Um, let's see. The episode was brought to you by DiscountComicBookService.com, DCBService.com, and InStockTrades.com. Go to DCBService.com for all your pre-ordering needs, and go to InStockTrades.com. If it's on their website, it's in stocks for hardbacks and trade paperbacks. And also, if you're going to New York Comic Con, check out Rock Comic Con to get your tickets for the Rock Comic Con concert happening Thursday, October 9th at New York. Visit us at Comic Geek Speak to send us an email. The address is comicgeekspeak at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, the number is 267-702-6642. Stop by The Comic Forums and comment on this episode. Give us your thoughts on the -the off-the-rack selections on Gotham, our Marvel Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. premiere, Please don't spoil it on the forums unless there is a spoiler <laughs> header a in couple, front of there's it. There's a couple of threads on the forum already. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook. Thank you to everyone who per, uh, contributes to the show. We do appreciate it. Send us voicemails and emails. We love them. And as always, we are uniting the world's mightiest heroes, one listener at a time. All right, here's a little bonus after the credits content for you all at RetroCon. You may have heard us talk about it on the show. RetroCon, a little, uh, I don't know, there's toys, there's comics, there's all kinds of geek stuff here. There's video games, everything uh, your heart could desire. Uh, it's down here in Oaks, Pennsylvania. It's a two-day show. I set up, I set ne- up also next to Mr. Chris Everly from Wild Big Comics. Hello there, Chris. Pantaloons, how are you? Very good. Uh, Brian Deemer was here for most of the afternoon. Uh, we even had a we had a Peter Rios sign, which is riveting. Yeah, it's always good to see Peter. And of course, we have the recently blushing bride, Daniel Daniel O'Brien or Daniel Ellis now. O'Brien. Oh, <laughs> she says uh, quite uh, firmly. Yes. So, how are you doing one week after the uh, wonderful occasion? Still tired. Tired. <laughs> yeah, but good. Oh, well, good. it was a very exhausting day. Well, okay, yeah, I can. That was a week ago. Yeah, I know, but there now. Now I'm in the downtime. There's this weird. Uh, you're so everything you do for a year is planning a wedding, and all I thought about for a year was a wedding, and now <laughs> I'm kind of like, what do I do with myself? I'm very confused. You're very confused. <laughs> I need I need something new. So now I have to plan a honeymoon, and that'll be my new focus. Okay. Now, how many people, if anybody, said, "What are you having kids?" Is that like the next question? Well, they, they, they know, but I've 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 heard it a couple times, <laughs> and my answer is usually um, probably never. <laughs> K 
kids are adorable, but they also cost a lot of money, and they're... It's like nine months of not drinking and eating sushi, and I just don't understand. <laughs> I just don't understand. I'm sure they're cute, but, I mean, is yes. it really worth that? I don't know. Very good. Well, it was a very fun time there. As I mentioned before, at the beginning, Mr. Everly performed the um, perfunctory <laughs> ceremony, I guess. How would you call that? With it was... The, the, sh- the ceremony for show, not for go. As it was the, it was the ceremony. Requested. It was eloquent, but perfunctory. Yes. yes. Very nice. Well, very yes. good. Well, without going into specifics, I had a very good uh, show so far, selling my toys. Well, Pants, considering your red face enthusiasm gyrations, <laughs> I would say so. Yeah, the, the, the more happier he gets, the, uh, the more charismatic you get, I guess is a nice way to put it. So, yes, all I got to say is God bless the dealers who buy from me before the show opens. I know sometimes people don't care for that, but they did me a solid. They sure did. And yes. the legendary toy collection is slowly depleting. Yeah, and this is only what I had in storage, and now it's yes. up in my attic. So I'm going to go oh, home and bring oh some bring God. some more for, for Sunday. Hell yeah. But, uh, Chris, you had, of course, the used trades and tune tumblers. Yep, doing steady business. No complaints. Fun show. And if you love toys, boy, this is a great show. Yeah. This place is crazy. Yeah, yeah. I, I didn't walk around for fear of... Spending the money I just earned? Yeah. At least once. Wow. There's a lot of great stuff. Well, yeah, but then if I see it, I might, get, I might buy it. It's like, no, this money's for for me. <laughs> you know, just put aside. Because New York Comic Con is coming up in less than two weeks. So Got to check that out. Really? Less than two weeks? Yes. October 9, 10, 11, 12. I don't even pay attention. <laughs> well, that's why I'm here, to put in the small details. Yeah. You do it so well, my friend. Yes. So, again, nice to see Brian and Peter. And uh, we may have an uh, Adam Murdo sighting tomorrow I'm again. I'm looking forward to it with bated breath. Time permitting, we'll give you, like, a recap of the uh, thing. So, again, thank you for tuning to the post-credits content. <laughs> All right. It's Sunday afternoon, September 28th, and RetroCon has finished 2014. I must say I really enjoyed this con, even though I didn't see it, because I made a lot of money. <laughs> it was awesome. Well, how, how was your take on it, Chris? Oh, I enjoyed the show thoroughly. Uh, I did steady, modest business. I would come back. Um, but for me, the best part was just the selection of toys. Walking up and down the aisles, you know, I picked up a few things, including Amigo Falcon. Oh, so I saw that. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, you're a, if you're a lover of toys and nostalgia, definitely come to this next year. Yes. It's, uh, it's well, they, they did announce uh, it is happening again next year. I don't have the date's quite yet for it. Yeah. But we were joined today on Sunday by Mr. Murd, Adam Murd Murdo. How are you doing, sir? Oh, just fine, <laughs> thanks. Just just here for a couple of hours, just passing through. Just, uh, you know, the, the migrant labor here to help you guys, uh, <laughs> the roustabout, helping you guys break down your tables. And you put the retro in retro kind, don't you, sir? <laughs> right on. <laughs> so you actually got to walk around and do some shopping. What was, it, uh, what was it like there? I found some quarter books, and I found a lot of, uh, well, I'm not, not a big toy collector, but I saw a lot of uh, interesting uh, pop culture-derived uh, memorabilia that I didn't even know existed. Some Inspector Gadget toys, who knew? Nice. Um, and uh, Chris uh, found... Uh, well, in addition to the uh, the Falcon he mentioned, which he says is going to become a fixture behind the cash register at Wild Pig Comics 2. 14 South Kenilworth Avenue. Uh, 14 South Michigan <laughs> Avenue, Kenilworth, New, Jer- Kenilworth, New Jersey. Google it, wildpigcomics.com. Yeah. Uh, and he also found a, a Warlock uh, 7-Eleven cup for me. Ah, yes. And a Clea, as in Doctor Strange's Paramore Clea cup for himself. Oh, very, very nice. Yes. As for me, I just found some cool comics and uh, Chris... Since his stand was right next to yours, he, he just he showered me with gifts. <laughs> so but mostly uh, research materials for future indeed, episodes indeed. of yes. Comic Geek Speak. We'll leave it at that because we don't have any. Right, we're not giving anything away. Right, right. 
But yeah, it was a good con. A lot, a lot of, a lot of good cosplay and a I wide variety of cosplay. Mm-hmm. Movies, TV, anime, video games. I saw someone cosplaying Lucy Ricardo. For goodness' sake. Yes. When I got here, I saw somebody in a full-body uh, gremlin suit with, yes. his, with his mask off, smoking a butt outside the front door. <laughs> yeah, for, yeah, for such a small show, there was a lot of cosplay going yeah, on. Yeah, yeah. Small but powerful. Hmm. Indeed. So, yeah, check it out, RetroCons.com. Check out their show next year. And if I still have any toys left, <laughs> I mean, I might try to get rid of them before then, but, you know, I'll be back. I did very well. All right, signing off. <laughs>